Father, thank you for these words spoken by your Son, Jesus, when he was here on earth. Please help us to understand them and to hear you speaking to us through them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Three days after last Christmas, I went into Sainsbury's, and lo and behold, there already were the chocolate eggs and bunnies. They start the run into Easter commendably early in Sainsbury's. We were way behind, but last week we started the run into the very first Easter as recorded in Luke's Gospel. So we're in the bit where Jesus is getting near to Jerusalem and his death and resurrection. And in last week's passage, we saw him inviting people to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, to stop saying to God, I don't want you to be king over me, and to re-enter the relationship with God that we were made for. And this week, we're going to see that the key to re-entering that relationship is Jesus' death on the cross. If you're just uh, looking into Christianity, you may still be wondering, why is Jesus' death so important? Because it obviously is. After all, Christians have communion services like this to remember his death. Uh, Christians wear crosses. They mostly have cross-shaped buildings. We don't have one of those. They invented hot cross buns. What is the cross all about? Well, would you, um, if you don't have it open already, turn in the Bibles to page 878. Page 878. That will get you to Luke chapter 18. And at the, uh, the top left-hand corner of the page there, page 878, you'll get to the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Let me read it again so we've got it in mind. And taking the 12, that is the 12 apostles, the eyewitnesses that Jesus chose who then provided the information for Luke's gospel and the whole New Testament. Taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man, which was a name Jesus used for himself, so everything that's written about Jesus by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they didn't grasp what was said. So reading the Gospels, you need to remember that even though the apostles had some kind of faith in Jesus, it, it was not Christian faith. Not yet. Because Christian faith is trusting in Jesus and his death as the key to relationship with God. But at this point, Jesus hadn't died yet and risen. So they couldn't possibly trust in Jesus and his death. In fact, they couldn't even understand it. Look at verse 34 again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they didn't grasp what was said. But in what he said here, Jesus gave two clues to help them understand the cross once it had happened. So we're going to follow through how the apostles came to understand the cross. And that will help each one of us here this morning to ask, well, do I understand the cross? So at this point, the apostles were saying to themselves, the cross, the thought of the cross coming up makes absolutely no sense at all. That's my first point. The cross 
by itself makes no sense. Look down to verse 31 again. Taking the 12, Jesus said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of this. Now, of course, that doesn't mean they literally understood none of those words. They understood full well what mocked and spat on and flogged and killed meant. They just couldn't understand why that was going to happen to Jesus. Reminds me of of the Chinese international student we had in a Christianity Explored group uh, a while ago. She had been loving getting her, her first ever look at Jesus and what he was like. She was loving seeing his his kindness and his compassion and his miracles of healing and his forgiveness of failures like us. And then they came to the week on his death on the cross and she was in tears. Because why would something as awful as that happen to someone as wonderful as him? She She saw it with fresh eyes in a way that it doesn't reduce many of us to tears, does it? The cross by itself makes no sense. And the apostles would have made more sense of things if they had actually heard everything that Jesus said here. But they only heard about the suffering and they filtered out the rest. It's a bit like my memory of going to get my first, well, conscious injection, verse uh, age five. The nurse said, "Uh, there'll just be a small prick and that'll be finished and you can have a smarty. And all I heard was about the suffering. There is going to be a prick. And I imagine that to be kind of worse than the the worst of my kind of wasp stings. Um, And I filtered out the small and the smarty. And boy, did I fight well. They had to uh, book me in on another day and uh, bring me back. And here, similarly, the, the apostles only heard about the suffering. Verse 32 that Jesus would be delivered over to the Gentiles. In other words, end up perilously in the hands of the Roman authorities, which is not where you want to be. That he would be mocked as if his claims were laughably wrong. You know, if you're the son of God, what, what are you doing up there? God on the cross, tell me another one. That he'd be shamefully treated and spat upon by those who thought they'd won and therefore thought they could treat the loser like dirt. And that he would be flogged and killed, the two official parts of a crucifixion, one to leave you half dead, the other to finish you off, by which the Roman Empire judged and got rid of its undesirables. And the apostles only heard that. They only heard the suffering, and they filtered out the two clues that would have helped them begin to understand it. One clue is in verse 31, where Jesus says, Everything that is written by the Son of Man, written about the Son of Man by the prophets, will be accomplished. In other words, there was going to be purpose to Jesus' sufferings, because it was, it was part of God's plan, pre-announced by the Old Testament prophets. And the other clue was at the end of verse 33. And on the third day, he will rise. In other words, there was going to be victory in Jesus' sufferings. Purpose and victory. Because God his Father was going to raise him from the dead to show them who really was right. 
and who really was judge and who really had won. But the apostles filtered out those two clues and they were left with the cross making absolutely no sense by itself. And I realize that may be where you feel you are this morning. You, you, you could understand it if Christians said, look, the important thing about Jesus was his teaching or his example. But they keep saying it's his death. What are they on about? Point two. The resurrection means the cross must make sense. Look down to verse 32 again. For he, Jesus, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon and after flogging him they will kill him and on the third day he will rise. And the apostles and the New Testament writers say Jesus really did rise bodily from the dead. Last week, Tess and I uh, went away for uh, a wedding night anniversary, and the blurb in the hotel room said that it was part of the Robert Parker collection. And I discovered that Robert Parker is a Church of England minister who on the side owns five hotels and is worth about 20 million. So out of curiosity, um, I asked Uncle Google, and I found this article about him. Here's a quote from it. Mr. Parker struggled with many of the beliefs of the church. He couldn't accept a literal reading of the Bible. He says, quote, most of my fellow clergy are sucked in by traditional theology, which I can't hack. People do not walk on water. People do not rise from the dead. Listen to this. You've got to say the gospel writers obviously knew that and were trying to tell us something else. Isn't that arrogant? To which Luke, along with all the other New Testament writers, would say, no, Mr. Parker. I was not trying to say something else. I was saying Jesus literally rose bodily from the dead, Mr. Parker. Either believe it or reject it. Don't try and reinterpret it. Don't think that you know better than I did 2,000 years later what I intended to say. And if you read to the end of Luke, you find that by Good Friday evening, Jesus' dead body was literally sealed in a tomb and that on Easter Sunday, the tomb was literally found open and empty of everything but the grave clothes and that multiple eyewitnesses did literally see Jesus alive again, bodily resurrected from the dead. And that means the cross must make sense. Because if God then raised Jesus to show that he was his son and to show that the world's judgment on him could not have been more wrong, then it meant that God allowed the cross in the first place. It meant that God planned the cross. It meant that the cross must have had purpose. And that's what the apostles began to realize from the moment they knew Jesus had risen from the dead. And one lesson from that in passing is this. If the worst thing that has ever happened, namely the death of the Son of God at the hands of human beings, was part of God's plan, allowed for God's purposes, then we can trust that the worst things that happen to us and around us are also somehow part of God's plan and allowed for his purposes. That doesn't mean that we will have the comfort of understanding why they happen. But it does mean we have the comfort of knowing that God hasn't lost control or lost interest, that those, those worst things did not happen because God couldn't help it or couldn't care. So 
So that's point two. The resurrection means the cross must make sense. That was one clue that Jesus gave to help the apostles understand it, which they began to from Easter Sunday. But it begs the question, so, you know, what sense does it make? So point three, the Old Testament makes sense of the cross and resurrection. Look down to verse 31 again. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So Jesus was saying his rejection, suffering, death, and resurrection, they were all part of God's plan and pre-announced back here by the Old Testament prophets. So we're going to look at the most striking example of that. Could you turn back in the Bibles to page 613? Page 613. So we are parachuting back into the Old Testament, the part of the Bible written before Jesus, but pointing to Jesus. Page 613. And we're landing in Isaiah, who lived 700 years before Jesus. Page 613. uh, Isaiah 53 And look at verse 1. This is where God gave Isaiah a vision of Jesus coming as if it had already happened, which is why it's put in the past tense. So Isaiah 53, verse 1. Isaiah says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So Isaiah imagines, you know, the, the, the Lord rolling up his sleeves like we might do before a bit of DIY, bearing his arm for the job of rescuing us from our rebellion against him, okay? Only God's arm turns out to be a person distinct from God and yet God. Verse 2. For he, that's the arm of the Lord, grew up before him, that's the Lord, like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrow. So now God's arm, this person distinct from God and yet God, has become a man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised And we esteemed him not. So there's the rejection of Jesus. Being mocked and shamefully treated and spat on and all the rest of it, as Luke 18 says, it's all part of the plan. It's all pre-announced by the prophets. And then comes Jesus' death. Look on to verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, in other words, judgment, that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, in New Testament terms, that's God the Father, has laid on him, in New Testament terms, God the Son, the iniquity of us all. So transgression, iniquity, sin, they're all words for our rebellion against God, for everything about us that leaves us under God's judgment. And Isaiah says, in his death, out of love for us, God's Son willingly took our place as our substitute to take that judgment we deserve so that we would never face it, so that we would be forgiven back into relationship with God. The cross is the key to that. We don't come back into relationship with God or stay in relationship with God by being good enough, but by being forgiven for all the ways that we are not good enough and never could be. 
So maybe during communion in a moment, you could have Isaiah 53 open to help you reflect on the cross. But Jesus' resurrection is here as well. Look on to verse 10, Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So the cross was God's plan before it was human evil. He has put him to grief. Father has put son to grief out of love for us. But look what comes next, because this is talking about Jesus after he's offered his life up for us. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, what next? He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Which begs the question, I mean, who has offspring after they've died? Who has long life after they've died? Who can put God's will into action after they've died? And the answer is Jesus. Because he rose from the dead. And his offspring are all the people he brings into God's family through faith in him and his death. And he won't just now prolong his life. He has an eternal life. And until he comes again, he is putting into action God's will, which is that God's worldwide family grows and grows and grows as we take the gospel to more and more people. It's all there. Jesus' rejection, suffering, death, resurrection. It's all there. So now listen to Luke 18 again, verse 31. Taking the 12, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So that's point three. The Old Testament makes sense of the cross and the resurrection by telling us why we needed it and what it was going to achieve for us. So just like we saw in our Christ in the Psalms series, if we are going to understand Jesus, we've got to read the Old Testament. Do not be what people call just a New Testament Christian. That makes no sense. So do you understand the cross? Does it make any sense to you? Are you trusting in it this morning for your forgiveness? Just listen to verse 34 again. But at the time of this conversation in Luke 18, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they didn't grasp what was said. And elsewhere, Luke uses that word hidden to talk about things that we cannot possibly understand and accept unless God, by his Spirit, works in us to show them to us. So I want to say, if this doesn't make sense to you yet, as it didn't once make sense to me, please keep coming. Please keep joining us uh, to listen to the Bible. Maybe join Christianity Explored. But would you also start praying to God that he would show you why you need what Jesus did for you on the cross? There is nothing better that you could pray if you want to get to that point of this making sense and being able to trust it. And if this does make sense to you, please don't think it's because you're smarter than other people or because you worked it out. If you see your need of Jesus' death and you're trusting in him today, it is only, only, only because God by his spirit worked in you and got you to that point. And the only appropriate response to that is humility and praise. 
And that's the response we're going to make in our next song. So would you stand? And we're going to sing in response to the cross.